We're going to get ready to get into the Word together. And uh, so I want you to find the book of Jonah. It's in there. I promise. Get started now. Because some of you will be looking for a while. If you find Amos, keep going. If you find Obadiah, you're really close. If you find Micah, go back. Go back. And help yourself out next Sunday by sticking a bookmark in there when you find it. Because Lord willing, we're going to take a few weeks and we're going to dive into the story of this man named Jonah. Let's do something today. Let's take our Bibles and let's stand together. Can we do that? Let's stand together. We're going to read this first chapter. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like to use one, there's some in the pews close by. Uh, It'll be up on the screen here as well. But let's read the word of the Lord. Read along as I read out loud. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Verse 6. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lots fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Verse 13. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Verse 17. 
Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Father God, thank you for the incredible word of God. It's living, it's active, it's breathing. Hebrews 4.12 says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates to the very heart of man. Lord, let your word penetrate our hearts today. Speak to us through it. Guide us by it. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. You can be seated this morning. Now, let me tell you, it's ironic that we're starting this series today a little bit because I just came back from a three-day fishing trip. Just sit right back and we'll tell a tale. (laughs) No, I I really did. I I went fishing uh, with Earl and with Chris and uh, with Ron Rhodes and and John, our our guide, one of Earl's friends. And uh, man, we had an incredible, incredible time. Our way up there, we stopped at the Bass Pro Shop because that's what you got to do. And over, over the door, there was a sign that said something to the effect of welcome all hunters, fishers, and all other liars. <laughs> it was like, and that kind of set the pace, you know, you, you learn as you go fishing, you know, how to, how to tell stories. But uh, I, don't, I, don't have, I don't have any big fish tales uh, to tell you. I will say, I finally caught a beautiful trout. Yeah, it it was, it was awesome, and I got to say, it's a good thing I did, because Earl was like my personal guide on the journey. I mean, I'm telling you, he, he was like coaching me the whole, I'd never gone fly fishing before, and so it's a different thing, and so he's coaching me the whole way, and he's being so patient, it's amazing, but I, I'm sure if I hadn't caught that fish, I was probably within a couple of hours of him sneaking out there and putting a fish on my hook when I wasn't looking. He wanted me to catch a fish as bad as I wanted to catch one. And so we had this awesome like celebration. I was like, yes! Finally reeled in a nice size brown trout. And it was so much fun. And I, I read this story this morning, and I just want to, out of the gate, say something about this story because it's so amazing. And, and just the last verse in itself, if you've ever read the Bible, you've probably heard of this story. Of, I mean, when you think of Jonah, it's almost like we didn't put the whole title up there, right? Because what do you think of? When I say Jonah, you think of Jonah and the whale, right? We think of a whale. And you hear this story of God provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. I want to just tell you right out of the gate here, I believe this is a historical book. I believe this is a historically accurate account. Now, there's a lot of people that would refute that. There are different uh, opinions. You know, people would say that it's, it's a parable, uh, that, that, that it was symbolic, that there wasn't a real fish or any of this. And, and I could spend a lot of time, honestly, kind of arguing for you why I believe this really happened. But I decided to delete that page of my sermon notes and just give you the number one main reason. If you just have to have one reason why you should think that this story actually happened, here it is. Jesus believed it. Jesus believed it, okay? I want to just show you really quickly. You can stay there in in Jonah, but in Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11, verse 29 through 32, says, as the crowds increased, Jesus said to the crowds, Luke 11, 29, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign. 
but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. Now, the way that Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites is that he was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights, and then he came back out again. And Jesus said, just as he was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the ground for three days. But on the third day, he's coming out again. That was the sign of Jonah. But then he goes on in the same conversation, verse 31 He gives another instance from history. He says, the queen of the south will rise at the judgment with the people of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. And you can read in the Bible and outside of uh, extra biblical history about the queen of Sheba coming and visiting Solomon. Again, another historical account that Jesus And then right after that, he goes back to the story of Nineveh. In verse 32, he says, The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Spoiler alert, if you never read Jonah, they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. So Jesus believed in the authenticity of this historical account. As amazing, as miraculous, as much of a fishtail as it may sound, this really happened. And Jonah was a prophet during the time when uh, the kingdom of Israel was divided into two kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom of Israel, there was the southern kingdom of Judah. And this was during the time that Jeroboam II uh, had come to power. He was a ruler in that day. Some of the scholars actually believe that Jonah was among the school of prophets. If you go back and read the account in 2 Kings of when Elisha was following Elijah. And he had this promise from Elijah that if you see me when I depart, then you can have a double portion of my anointing. And so he's following everywhere. He gets to Bethel and there's a school of prophets there that say, do you not know that Elijah is about to depart from you? And he says, yeah, I I know that. Well, some scholars believe that Jonah was one of those prophets there in Bethel. He's mentioned specifically in chapter 14 of 2 Kings. He prophesies during the reign of Jeroboam. And and so this is a, a real historical figure, and this is a real account that takes place uh, to to Jonah, and I want us to look into this story for a few moments, just the first chapter of it today. And I believe God wants to say some things right out of the Word of God to your life and to mine. So let's look at it here, verse 1. We began with the Word of the Lord that came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Can I just tell you that the whole book is about the response to that moment? Like that, that was the big moment in the book. And if you weren't paying attention, you missed it right out of the gate. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. And can I say to you, that is the same crux, the same moment that you come to every time you come to church. The word of the Lord comes to you. Everything else is about how you respond to the word of the Lord that comes to you. Every, everything that happens from here, I, I, I'm not accountable for what you do tomorrow at work. 
The word of the Lord comes to you. And Jesus talked about it in four different ways. He says the seed of the word is scattered and it falls on four different soils. In other words, he was saying there's all kinds of different uh, reactions. Some people, their hearts are fertile and they produce much fruit. Others, their, their hearts are like thorny soil and, and there's fruit that comes up quickly, but then it's choked out by the cares of this world. And, and Jesus described four different soils. Four different responses to the word of God. But the word of God comes. God said, my word shall not return void. It shall accomplish that thing that I sent it forth to do. And so I just want you to posture yourself in a moment here, right here in verse 1, to understand the word of the Lord is coming to me. So when we come to church, this is not, uh, let's see what he thinks, you know, about what's going on this week. No, it's not about the person who's standing up. Here, it's about what the Lord wants to say out of his word. You know, it's interesting in in the Hebrew. The Hebrew associated wisdom with behavior. While the Greeks uh, considered wisdom an intellectual exercise. So the question is, do you think like a Hebrew or like a Greek? Because Hebrews associated your behavior with wisdom. Whereas Greeks, you could just talk all day. You don't have to do anything. You just talk about it. Go, oh, wow, they're really wise. But Jesus, speaking to Hebrews, gave a parable. And he said, the wise builder is the one who hears the word and applies it. Not the one who just hears the word. The foolish builder hears the word, but his life falls to pieces because he hasn't applied the word in his life. And so I just want to challenge you right here in the first verse to know that God's word comes to you. It says the word of the Lord came to, you ought to write your name in the margin. It came to me. Maybe you remember the first time the word of the Lord came to you when you really, your eyes were open, your, your heart was moved. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. And the word of God is like the sun. It softens butter, but it hardens clay. The sun of God's word is shining on you today. Have a heart to respond and to hear what he's saying. Because the word of God will change your life. And I know that sounds like a positive statement, but it's just a factual statement. The word of God will change your life. You don't have to accept it to change. You can either leave here humbled and softened and directed by the word, Or you can leave here a little bit more calloused because you heard the word and you ignored it. But the word of the Lord comes. It's coming now. Verse 2. It says, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come before me. Here's what you need to know about Nineveh. This was like the greatest city in Mesopotamia. It would later become the capital of Assyria. It was a, it was going to be, Assyria was the next world dominant power. In fact, they would later come and they would overthrow the northern kingdom of Israel, never to be seen again. Assyria was a powerful, powerful place. And Nineveh was the seedbed. Nineveh was the hot spot. It was the metropolitan area. It would be the capital city. And so there was a, a hatred from Jonah towards Nineveh. Because of what they represented. The Syrians committed horrible, horrible atrocities towards the Jewish people. Eventually, as I said, they would completely destroy Israel. And God tells Jonah to go deliver a message to them. So it's no surprise in verse 3. It says, Jonah ran away from the Lord. 
he ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Does that sound funny to anybody besides me? He ran away from the Lord. Jonah tries to do something that is absolutely impossible. Can I, in case you were thinking about it this week, can I just tell you before you get going? It's impossible. You can't run away from the Lord. But it's amazing what we can talk ourselves into. It's amazing how we can rationalize things. I mean, Syria was so evil. Nineveh was so, uh, so wicked that I'm sure Jonah had rationalized in his mind that the only thing I can do to defend God, even if he won't defend himself, I'll defend him myself. I'm going to have to run from God. Surely he would not want me to go and preach to Nineveh. And don't we try to help God out sometimes? And so he run, He tries to run from God. I wonder if even when he was running, he was singing one of the Psalms. You know, Psalm chapter 55, it, it says this, it says in verse 6, I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove and I would fly away and be at rest. You know, it's funny that Jonah's name actually means dove. So he might have been taught, you know, this is my purpose. You know, oh, that I had the wings of a Jonah, that I would fly away. And he's running from God. But he wasn't thinking about one of the other Psalms. He wasn't thinking about Psalm 139, where David said the words, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. David knew you can't hide from God. Adam and Eve found out. Where are you, Adam? They're in the garden. They were hiding. You can't hide from God. Adam and Eve couldn't hide from God. David couldn't hide from God. Jonah couldn't hide from God. And can I just say, it's the same for you and me. We can't hide from God. But here he is. He's running. And he's not just hiding. He's acting in disobedience. And this is a dangerous step that he takes. But look at verse 3 again. It says that he ran from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. This is, this is disobedience to the known will of God. Can I just say disobedience? We can call it what we want, but it's, it's sin. This, and this is not just an incidental sin. This is not a mistake. This is intentional, willful disobedience. He paid for the ticket. He bought the ticket to flee from God. Nineveh was about 500 miles away, northeast. That's where he needed to go preach. Instead, he goes down to the port and he heads towards Tarshish, which is about 1,000 miles in the other direction. So he's supposed to go northeast. He goes west. He's purchased the ticket to run from God. The Bible says this about sin. In Psalm 119, or I'm sorry, Psalm 19, it tells us there's a progression of sin that we need to be careful of because maybe you're here this morning. Well, in fact, I would just say you are here this morning. All of us have been there before. You'll be there again to where you've been in a place where you've made mistakes. You've did things you knew that God didn't want you to do. You'll probably do those things again. It was a mistake. How many of you know we all make mistakes? No perfect people, amen? Nobody here that can claim perfection. But here's what the Bible says in Psalm 19, verse 12. Who can discern their errors? 
We all make errors. We all make mistakes. Forgive my hidden faults, he says. Those are those things that, have you ever done something wrong and you didn't even know you did it wrong? And then somebody confronted you about it? And you're like, oh, I, I didn't know. I, I didn't realize it. I've been in church services before where I'm worshiping and I'm praying and I begin to talk to God and then he begins to talk to me and he reveals some hidden faults. Things in my life that I didn't even realize needed adjusted. Things that David was talking about when he said, forgive my hidden faults. But there's another progression of sin. He says in the next verse, keep your servant also from willful sins. That's those things that we know it's wrong and we choose to do it anyway. It's willful disobedience. Willful sins. So that they may not rule over me. And this is why we have to be careful of willful sins. Because they they progress to another level. And he says, then I will be blameless. Innocent of great transgression. See, here's the deal. Jonah thought he only paid the fare for a ticket to get on a boat and go to Tarshish. But here's the problem when we punch our ticket in sin. Sin will always cost you more than you want to pay. It will always take you farther than you want to go. And it will always keep you longer than you want to stay. When you punch your ticket with sin, you relinquish authority over the destination. He willfully gave in. He willfully disobeyed. He willfully ran from God. And so... The story moves forward. Now he's on the boat. He's moving in the wrong direction. And the Bible says in verse 4 that the Lord sent a great wind, a great storm. The Lord sent it. Now, I was thinking this week about the sovereignty of God. In fact, Chris and I were talking in the in the truck on the on the way up to the mountains. and, And, you know, some people just oversimplify the sovereignty of God as to say, well, God is good. And the Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from God. And pretty sure we sang a song at church that says, good, good father, good, good father, it's who you are, it's who you are. And so God is good. Everything good comes from God. And the devil conversely is bad. He comes to steal, kill, destroy. That's his MO. So everything good comes from God. Everything bad comes from the devil. And, and that's a really simple, uh, basic understanding. But Jonah's theology is a little bit more complex. Because Jonah's theology says, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Can I just tell you that sometimes God sends storms? Sometimes He does. And in fact, God doesn't just send storms, He hurls them. Because if you look at the wording in the original language the same word that is translated for god hurling this storm in verse four is also in verse five when it says the sailors hurled the cargo overboard to try to lighten the load it's also the same verse the same word in verse 15 when it says the sailors hurled jonah overboard God hurls a storm at him. And it's not a retaliation. It's not anger. He's not up there firing lightning bolts at people. It's a, it's a, a purposeful, strategic strike. Not to crush him, but to cause him to turn around. God will cause storms in your life. They're not punitive. They're redemptive. God wants 
to allow some things, even bad things, to occur in your life for the sake of opening your eyes and restoring your faith in Him. The Bible says in in verse 5, All the sailors were afraid, and each one cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell asleep. I'm just teaching you the word this morning. Is this okay? We're just moving through the scripture. Can I tell you what this verse says to me? This verse is a sad but true commentary on the church. When I read this verse, I see the world chasing after their gods in a panic in the midst of a storm. They're throwing cargo overboard. They're calling out to every deity. They're looking to any and everything to give them answers to the the storm. They don't know what to do. Where's the church? Where's the church? The only one on the boat with the answer. Where is the church? He's below deck, sleeping. And for much of the church, we're asleep in the midst of the world's crisis. They're they're asking. They want to know, what do we do? What's going on? What's our world coming to? This is crazy. People that are totally far from God still have a moral conscience. And and even if they don't call out to God, they still watch the 6 o'clock news and they go, what's happening in our world? What are we going to do? How are we going to fix this? Call your politician. Call your senator. I don't know what we're going to do. And the church is below the deck, sleeping. I hear a word in this for the church that says, wake up. Wake up, O sleeper. Wake up. We have the answer. We know how to get out of this storm. Verse, look at the next verse. Look at verse 7. It says, The captain had gone down and he woke him up. Look at verse 6 again. Let's back up. He, he looks at him and he says, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us so that we will not perish. I just prayed that for you this week. I just want to tell you, as I was preparing for this, I just began to pray this verse over you. I began to just pray, how can you sleep? I hope you're not asleep right now. I'm preaching. But for some of you, I'd, maybe I did need to say that. I'm like, how can you sleep? I should have said that with more inflection in my voice. But here's the prayer. Get up and call on your God. Have you ever watched somebody who's just grown so apathetic in their, in their spiritual condition? Just lethargic in their faith? And they, don't, they don't see what's happening. It's like, it's like spiritually they're asleep. It's like they're numb. They don't get it. And, and, and you just want to shake them. And go, wake up! Wake up! That's what the Spirit does to us in, in church services sometimes. You, you get in a, in a moment of worship and boy, you feel something you haven't felt before. And all of a sudden, boy, there's a, a, a tear welling up in the corner of your eye and you haven't felt that in a while. What is that? What is it? It's the Spirit of God arresting our attention saying, wake up! Call on your God! Call on your God! And verse 7, the sailors, they, they said to each other, come and let us cast lots to find out who's responsible 
for this calamity. Now, this moment just indicates what we already know is true. I mean, we're, we're reading this story. You know, there's a, a big finger pointing at Jonah. We know whose fault it is. But they go to cast lots. And that was just a custom that they did in those days as a way of determining uh, things, as a way of making decisions. God is not a, a superstitious God. Can I just tell you that as, as a side note? You don't need to cast lots. Uh, you don't need to do any of that stuff. But God is bigger than that stuff. And so the Bible says, even though that was something they did, God didn't tell them to do that. It's something they did. But the Bible says in Proverbs 16, the lot is cast in the lap. But it's every decision is from the Lord. In other words, God's bigger than your roll of the dice. He's going to have his way. And so they cast the lots. And now here comes an incredible statement of faith. Look at with me in verse 8. It says, so they ask him, tell us. Who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? What people are you? And 21 other questions. They're just, you know, imagine this. They're in the middle of a storm. They're in a panic mode. They're afraid. They're asking him all these questions. He starts trying to explain himself, who he is, where he came from, the God that he serves. And then he gets this answer out in verse 9. He says, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Can I just tell you, in any other context, that was a perfect answer. I mean, that was awesome. He said, this is who I am. This is the God I serve. He made a great statement of faith. It would have been perfect. In fact, the next verse, verse 10, says they were terrified when they heard him say it, because when Jonah told him, he said, I, I serve the living God, Jehovah, who made the land and the sea. In other words, the gods that they serve, they all had like a corner on the market, so they thought. Like one God might be the God of the sun, and another God might be the God of the rain. And so you just kind of had to figure out where, what quadrant you were in, so you knew which deity to call on to try to get you out of a circumstance. And Jonah says, listen, I serve the God who owns the sea that you're rocking in and the land that you wish to get to. And they go, whoa, what kind of trouble have you gotten us in here? See, the problem with Jonah's confession was that it had everything to do with his beliefs and nothing to do with his behavior. And there's a world that's asking you and me today, what kind of God do you serve? What kind of God do you serve? What, who's your Lord? And I want to tell you, it doesn't really matter what you say in that moment if the way you live is a contradiction. They're listening for sure because the Bible says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So your words matter, no doubt. But your words are presented on the platform of your character. Let me say that again. If I have no character, I have no platform to preach from. If you know me to be something less than who you see me to be on Sunday... You're not listening, right? Right? You'd write me off so quick, say, man, that guy, he's all talk. He, he, know, he knows how to talk the talk, but man, his walk is messed up. So here's Jonah. I serve, the, I serve Jehovah. I serve the God of the land and the sea. But verse 10 says he had already told him he was running from the Lord, this great God who was in charge, and yet he wouldn't surrender to him. 
Verse 11 says the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they ask him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Selfish question. But valid. Pick me up, he says, and throw me into the water. Now, I got to be honest. I don't know why he said that. I mean, they were already stressed out enough. I mean, they were, uh, their ship's about to sink. Why he would add manslaughter to the litany of, you know, things that they were feeling oppressed by. Why didn't he just jump in? Uh, you know, I mean, if, if the solution is to get rid of you, just jump over, man. Why put it on me? But he says, you, you should throw me into the water. And I do think there's a reason that he did it. Because Jonah wasn't willing to be the prophetic voice for God. He had the opportunity to speak the word. The Lord spoke to him. He commanded him to give a word. But since he wouldn't speak the word, God was going to allow him to live the prophetic message. In this moment, and I alluded to the scripture earlier, Jesus would later say, the sign of Jonah is going to be given to you. And here's the sign of Jonah, that a man is going to be given as a sacrifice to save others. Here's the sign of Jonah, one life given so the rest of us won't have to perish. And, and Jesus comes on the scene, he says, the same way that Jonah was in the belly of a fish, the Son of Man is going to be put in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights, but I'm coming back again. Jonah had the opportunity to preach the word, but he sealed his lips and he ran the other way. And so God said, you'll, you'll be the message. You'll live the message. And so in that moment, though he was running from God, the Lord directed this prophet to say, if you want to be saved, throw me overboard. Of course, these guys, though they were Gentile, they were far from God. They still had a moral conscience. And they said, we can't do that. We can't throw them overboard. So the Bible says they just went back to rowing. They tried even harder. But the storm grew worse. It got more intense. And they finally just said, we, we have no other choice but to do what he said. And so they take Jonah and they throw him overboard. Their fear has now grown. And here's their prayer in verse 14. Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done what pleased you. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. Now look at what happens. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. And they made vows to him. Their fear has grown. Not just in this moment, but through the whole story. Their fear has grown. Not just in intensity, but also in focus. Steadily their fear went from verse 5, where they were afraid of the storm. And then in verse 10, when Jonah says, it's my fault. I'm the one that's running from God. They're even more afraid, the Bible says. They were terrified when they realized that they were not just dealing with a storm. They were dealing with the wrath of of Jehovah God. And then here at the end of the story, when you think all of a sudden the the chaos is over, the storm has died, all is calm, you would think that now they would be at peace, but that's not what it says. Verse 17 says when the storm was over, they greatly or verse 16 rather, they greatly feared the Lord. They went from a terrified fear to a healthy fear. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What happened in that moment, they recognized 
the authority and the power of God. In that moment, they feared the Lord. They worshipped God. They began to make sacrifices to God. And it looks like, if you don't know the story, that that was the purpose. That Jonah is a metaphor of Jesus. That, that he, he rebelled against uh, God and he ended up on this ship sailing for Tarshish for one reason. So that he could turn these Gentile sailors to the heart of God. And almost like Samson, you know, in his last moment, Samson pushed down the walls of the Colosseum and he, he, he destroyed all of those Philistines and, and he died serving God. And it looks like that's going to be Jonah's story as well. Well, I kind of blew my chance. I missed my moment. I fell away from God. But in the last moment, with my dying breath, I was able to see people come into the kingdom. And that would be a good story in and of itself. But God's Grace always goes a little farther. I just want to say to you this morning, it ain't over until God says it's over. Because some of you have already written the last page of your story. And you thought, well, you know, I, I ruined my life. I mean, I messed up my chances. I, I screwed up big time when I was young. Boy, I, I blew my marriage. I blew my health out of this. But you know what? If, if, I, if my grandkids can... You know, serve God. If my, if my kids can do okay, you know, at least maybe God will do something. Listen, God is not through with you. Hear that today. God is not through with you. This was not Jonah's swan song. It was his swan dive. And he goes in the deep end. And the Bible says in that moment when you think, okay, it's all over. The end of his story is here. We get verse 17. Now the Lord provided. That's highlighted in my Bible. Now the Lord provided provided the bible says he owns the cattle of a thousand hills in other words god has all the resources that you need and i would add he also owns the fish of all the seas because he sets a giant fish on a migratory pattern to intercept jonah as he's tumbling down to the bottom of the ocean before he breathes his last breath he's swallowed up in life and god rescues him in that moment God wants to rescue you too. The same way that we would write off our story and say, it's over, I've missed it, I've blown it. God has a story of redemption that He wants to tell. This morning, as we bring this first chapter to a conclusion, I want to just challenge your heart a little bit. In looking back over what we've just talked about, with Jonah, there's all of us at some point, and maybe some of you today, are at a point and at a place where God has spoken, the Lord has spoken. You're not unaware of the word of God. You're not unaware of the reality that the Bible says that God has a plan for you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. The Lord has spoken to you. But rather than leaning into God's word, maybe because it's difficult, and it may be, by the way. Sometimes the Lord speaks difficult things. But rather than leaning into that and embracing that and trusting God, you've bought into a false reality that there's a Tarshish out there place where you can live in peace, a place where you can find happiness 
and contentment outside of and far away from the will of God. You know, it's interesting that there's speculation about where Tarshish actually is. A lot of people believe that, you know, it's far on the West Bank. Some people believe it's northern Spain. But we don't know exactly, and that's kind of the point. It doesn't really matter. I mean, Jonah never got there. By the grace of God, he never got to Tarshish. But the reality is for us, in the Spirit, Tarshish doesn't even exist. It's It's a false hope. It's, it's a mirage that's built on selfish ambition. For some people, they, they know the Lord has spoken, but there's a Tarshish out there that they're putting their hope in. Maybe it's, maybe it's your bank account. And that, that, if, I can just, if I can just focus on that, if I can get there, if I can make that happen the way I want it to happen, then I'll be happy. For some of you, it's, it's a case in your refrigerator. That's, that's your Tarshish you run to every weekend. It's your escape. For some of you, it's a website, triplextarshish.com. It's a place where you go because you think, you know what? When I, when I go there, when I log on that, when I see that, I, I just, I, I can escape. And what, what do we do? We fabricate these ideas just like Jonah, that there's a place I can get to where I can be happy that is far from the will of God. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. And I want to appeal to you today. If you've bought in to some mirage built on selfish ambition. Of some hope that there's a better plan for me out there. Outside of the will of God. Don't wait for God to hurl another storm in your life. Before you open up your eyes to the reality of his calling. Don't wait You know, the Bible says the kindness of the Lord leads to repentance. The Bible also says godly sorrow leads to repentance. I would rather go the route of kindness. But God loves you enough that he will hurl a storm your way. And some of you could testify. You say, you know what, that's exactly what it was for me. Boy, man, when, when my marriage hit the rocks, when, when my kid got sick, when, when my, my parent died, you could tell the story. You, it was a reality for you. The storm was hurled against your life, and the result was you opened up your eyes. Can I stand here on the bow like a captain and say, wake up and call on your God. Call on your God. Because it's not just about you. There's other people on board. In your life, in your home, with your family. They're calling on anything and everything. And they don't know the way of salvation. But you know, you heard his call. And you're sleeping. And you're rejecting it. God is speaking to your heart today. Saying Tarshish is a myth. You'll never find hope there. You'll never find peace there. You'll never find joy there. you can wait you can wait you can rest you can sleep another week because God loves you so much he'll send a storm I want to pray for you this morning and I don't know where you're at in the journey as we go through chapter 2, 3 and 4 of this story we're going to find out that Jonah runs in a lot of directions but today 
It's about running away from God. 